2: Welcome to Equitable's first quarter analyst call and webcast on Wednesday, May 5th, 2021. At this time, you are in a listen-only mode. Later, we will conduct a Q&A session for analysts. Instructions will be provided at that time. It is now my pleasure to turn the call over to Richard Gill, Senior Director, Corporate Development and Investor Relations at Equitable.
3: Thanks, Carol. Your hosts today are Andrew Moore, President and Chief Executive Officer, Chadwick Westlake, Chief Financial Officer, Mahima Potter, Group Head, Personal Banking, and Ron Tratch, Chief Risk Officer. For those on the phone lines only, we encourage you to log on to our webcast as well, as it will give you access to a video demonstration that accompanies our call. I'll also refer you to slide two of the webcast presentation, which contains equitable caution regarding forward-looking statements. It's now my pleasure
4: to turn the call over to Andrew. Thanks, Richard, and good morning, everyone. Today I will speak to our upgraded outlook for 2021. Chadwick will provide insights into Q1 KPIs and update you on key business developments. And Ron is present for Q&A to address any questions you have about our current view of credit and risk. However, in true challenger bank fashion, we're going to shake things up with a demo of a category-changing UEQ bank service that launches this month. As group head of personal banking, Mahima and her team, working tightly with our fantastic IT group, are driving a multi-year roadmap to be a catalyst for change in Canadian banking. Before we get started, I want to say how proud I am of the team of building up and building out our institution, which is now ranked the number one bank in Canada by Forbes. This is a distinct honor based on extensive consumer surveys measuring factors that include trust and quality of digital services. Credit to the nearly 1,000 challengers who work here at Equitable for making this award possible. Our employees are indeed our very best asset. I am delighted how they have embraced our award-winning challenger culture. To set the stage for Outlook, I think it's important to note that Q1 turned out much better than we expected as our challenger bank services attracted over 28,000 new customers in just three months, with sizable increase in deposits and assets. It was, of course, challenging to forecast this in the ongoing pandemic, but is a testament to the strength of our franchise. Year-over-year highlights include 114% growth in EQ Bank deposits and 8% or $2.2 billion growth in total assets, headlined by a 14% increase in commercial loan principal. The commercial bank does not get as much attention and credit as I think it really should from investors. In Q1, it really drove, it really drove value, accounting for nearly half our earnings. Q1 performance showcases Eall's capability to grow deposits through our proprietary channels and deploy them across a range of commercial and personal asset categories. Record-setting earnings for Q1 and characteristically high ROE of 17.1 percent are evidence that our bank is deploying capital efficiently for our shareholders. ROE is our true north, and it is a management imperative to create tangible returns for all of the bank's activities using our proven value creation methodology. We are poised to build on our growth momentum in upcoming quarters. We published our annual outlook in February. It doesn't typically change. This year it has, and for the better, as we are increasing our growth expectations for assets in 2021, taking into account strong Q1 results. This may come as a surprise in that our original outlook called for healthy loan growth of 6 to 10 percent and EQ bank deposit growth of 20 to 30 percent. But after exceeding our Q1 growth plan and considering the trend lines in our business over the past two quarters, particularly our commitment pipeline and application activity, plus improving economic forecasts, we feel confident in raising the bar. What I'd like to particularly draw your attention to is expected growth of 15 to 20 percent in our conventional uninsured portfolio. Conventional is the earnings engine for our bank, making this upgrade very welcome news. On that topic, one of the biggest changes is our outlook for single-family alternative mortgages. This is an $11.3 billion portfolio with asset-gathering and underwriting capabilities that are core strength to equitable and deliver great returns. We now expect portfolio growth of 12 to 15% in 2021, rather than mid-to-high single digits, as originally envisaged. For our prime business, recall that we grew mortgage balances quite substantially last year in a time of attractive economics. This was an $8 billion portfolio that we now expect to grow 5 to 10%. The important part of our new outlook here is the success we're having with internally generated prime loan originations, which are expected to grow nicely this year. Conversely, we have seen fewer opportunities to purchase mortgages from third parties. I would just remind you that purchasing prime mortgages is a thin-margin business, and slightly slower growth in this category is completely immaterial to this year's earnings. For a wealthy accumulation business, we continue to have high expectations and have effectively doubled our outlook from 100% to now 200% for reverse mortgages and 150% for CSV lending. We got now the only indication of this potential with a year over year asset growth in reverse mortgages 241% and 533% for our CSV portfolio in Q1. Demand for our reverse mortgages is accelerating primarily due to the work our team has done done in delivering fantastic service and building distribution with key brokers in the market. Our rising market share provides the proof. The increasing product rates we have, low interest rates, and a more marked preference raging in place as a result of the pandemic are also critical catalysts. Our studies in reverse mortgages markets around the world continue to demonstrate that Canada is underserved, and Equitable stands to benefit as this approach to funding retirement lifestyles gathers an appropriate degree of acceptance. We're putting a lot of effort into our CSV offering and are gaining traction with customers and new partners, such as Sun Life. It's still early days for our deaccumulation business lines as we invest and scale up. We expect in coming years it will really start to translate into a key part of our investment story. We're also raising our expectations for pretty much the entire commercial bank. The biggest upgrade is to our $3.5 billion commercial finance group, with growth now expected to be between 20 and 25%. This business provides mortgage financing, including short-term bridge loans, term loans, and CMHC-insured and uninsured construction loans, to large corporates and institutions, and offers attractive risk managed returns. The quality of our new loans is stronger than in recent history, which itself has performed without losses. Speaking of our commercial segment, it's now been two years since Bennington, our equipment leasing business, joined the Equitable family. Like any acquisition, there's always a period of getting to know each other and a need to align systems, processes, and policies. Hats off to Troy Campbell and the Bennington team for playing their part so well in this process. I'm certainly excited about the prospects for Bennington as we emphasize building the better credit markets within the business. I'm getting really comfortable with our ability to build shareholder value for our shareholders over the years ahead as we're able to reinvest earnings into our many businesses and create consistent compounding of that capital. It's a great business model. As I noted, EQ Bank had a fantastic first quarter with deposits up by $1.2 billion since year end and an EQ Bank customer base now tops to 202,000. We measure customer engagement closely and are thrilled with the trends we're seeing in service usage each month and the number of products held per customer. We're very pleased with the customer uptake of EQ Bank TFSAs, RRSPs, and our all new digital joint savings accounts and our international money transfer service. As a result of recent momentum, we're very confident that we can grow IQ Bank deposits faster this year, which is reflected in our new outlook. On that note, I'll turn the call over to Mahima. For those of you who don't know her, Mahima joined Equitable five years ago from Boston Consulting Group and has been a driving force in product and corporate development, including digital banking strategy. She was promoted to group head of personal banking last year to oversee key areas, including single family mortgages, wealth accumulation, and EQBank. On today's call, Mahima will update you on exciting developments at EQBank and profile our latest challenger service.
5: Mahima?
6: Thanks, Andrew, and good morning, everyone. We operate with a long-term innovation plan based on our multi-year vision of making EQ Bank the center or the hub platform that Canadians can rely on for differentiated and simply better financial services. We create these both alone and in partnership with other fintech providers. Using our cloud-based capabilities and development consistent with our product roadmap, we have really stepped up the pace of new product and service launches in the past six months. This effort will continue. Today, I'll quickly describe a few of our latest launches and share a demo of a product we're about to introduce. First up is the EQ Bank Mortgage Marketplace, now taking our digital bank into the world of lending. We developed it in collaboration with Nesto, a Montreal-based fintech and online mortgage brokerage backed by Portage. Portage is one of the largest fintech VC funds in the world, and Equitable has an equity stake as an LP. This investment keeps us at the forefront of innovation and opens the door to collaborations with the best and brightest in the world of fintech. Nexto uses an innovative algorithm to analyze the entire Canadian landscape of 2,000-plus broker-available mortgage products, to recommend the best mortgage product to our customers. The platform is easy to use and requires just one application and one credit check to get pre-qualified for the perfect mortgage match. The mortgage marketplace complements Equitable Bank's existing mortgage channels and allows us to bring our product platforms together for EQ Bank customers. In the first couple of weeks since launch, applications have materially exceeded our expectations. Next up on our roadmap is this month's launch of the EQ Bank U.S. dollar account. We created this product to address the needs of financially savvy EQ Bank customers and used our challenger bank thinking to make it absolutely customer-centric. This meant completely reimagining a service that is typically cumbersome, opaque, and expensive for customers. Lastly, I'm excited to share today that the new EQ Bank website launched last Friday. Its redesign better reflects our brand positioning, is easier to use, and it should translate to even better consumer conversion. For our shareholders and analysts, a great way to gauge the value of the platform is to try our new Challenger Bank services for yourself. I guarantee you will be delighted by the experience. For reference, on slide 11 in the quarterly slides, the QR code will take you directly to our new website. From here, you can also sign up directly for an account in a matter of a few minutes. Now over to Chadwick to discuss more about our quarterly results.
7: Thanks, Mahima. We entered 2021 with good momentum and exited Q1 even stronger. Equitable continues to deliver above the high end of our ROE targets and we're driving continuous improvement across our business lines. q one last year was an outlier as it marked the beginning of the pandemic. While we are still living through lockdowns, the economic outlook has improved with the Bank of Canada forecasting GDP growth of 6.5% this year. This is reflected in a return to more normal value creation patterns so far in 2021. At $150 million, Revenue was ahead of Q1 last year by 20%. High-quality revenue growth translated into a diluted EPS of 397, a first-quarter record and ahead of last year's suppressed levels by 172%. From a sequential earnings perspective, we expected Q1 to be lower than Q4, which it was for a few reasons. It always has the impact of fewer business days because of the month of February, and we experienced three cents of EPS dilution from additional shares outstanding due to the impact of our share price increase in the quarter on employee stock options. As well, earnings from gains on sale continue to migrate back towards more normalized levels. If set one was back at a midpoint range of 13.5%, Q1ROE would have been 18.4% versus 17.1%. Stated in dollar terms, the bank is holding $108 million of excess capital, or $6.37 per common share. Higher earnings in ROE primarily reflected higher net interest income from growth in core assets complemented by growth in non-interest income, including a regular focus on generating gains on sale of insured multi-unit residential mortgages and a modest release of allowances for credit losses. With revenue growing at a double-digit pace, Non-interest expenses were up 6% year-over-year. This resulted in net positive operating leverage for the quarter and enabled us to generate a sub-39% efficiency ratio again, better than the low end of our 2021 guidance. Expense growth was mainly due to an increase in compensation and benefits as we expanded our FTE by 9% to 968 to enable our continued growth momentum. The revised business outlook Andrew shared is achievable with the investments we're making in the business, including in people, innovative products, a new EQ bank marketing campaign, and leading-edge technology, as Mahima demonstrated earlier. While we expect expenses to increase in Q2 and Q3 at a slightly higher rate than the past couple quarters, it will be difficult to compare these expense levels year-over-year due to the the constrained spending in the same periods of 2020. My underlying point here is we're going to invest more in Q2 and Q3, possibly taking the efficiency range slightly above our target in Q2 or Q3, but our plan is still to land 2021 within the best-in-class efficiency range we set of 39 to 41%. These investments will strengthen our momentum moving into 2022 and our ability to achieve our medium-term guidance. Moving to business lines, the growth leader in capital deployment this quarter was our $9.4 billion commercial bank with asset growth of almost $1.2 billion or plus 14% year-over-year. Conventional commercial loan originations were up 65% year-over-year. Multi-unit residential mortgages were up 42%, and we achieved 35% growth in equipment leases primarily within the logistics and transportation sectors, both growing parts of the economy. Our equipment leasing business produced a bank-leading 10.2% yield in Q1, which reflects its higher risk return characteristics, a steady risk-adjusted margin behind that, and greater than 20% ROE. Thinking about the leasing portfolio, our original plan was to achieve 1 to 4% growth, but that too has been upgraded to 5 to 8%, reflecting good ongoing opportunities with creditworthy customers. From a portfolio perspective, our original expectation for 2021 and one we have not changed is that our insured multi-unit residential book will stay around the 4.1 billion mark. On balance sheet portfolio growth in this segment it's a function of not only volumes we generate, but also levels of derecognition in any given period. We're also capped to a large extent on new orig- new originations by the available allocations from CMHC under the CMB program. We like this business because of its risk-return profile. Notwithstanding the outlook, the portfolio increased 10% year over year, reflecting changes to the CMHC's allocation approach to the CMB program. And our initiatives to bring broader capability to this program. In personal banking, asset growth was 5% year over year, or 920 million. Segment loan originations increased 291 million, or plus 28% year over year, led by 78% growth in prime loan originations. More notable from a trend perspective is the return to a more constructive posture in alternative single-family lending, where originations increased 17% year-over-year. You will note that the old book was 3% lower than a year ago as a result of 2020's pullback. However, assuming we achieve the top end of our upgraded guidance for growth of 12 to 15% now, we will add as much as $2.9 billion to the portfolio this year using our proven underwriting methodology. Moving to sources of capital, total deposits increased $2 billion year-over-year, year, or 13%, and by 6% sequentially. A very strong showing and indicative of our brand power, particularly since EQ Bank now counts for 33% of all deposits. A great accomplishment for a platform that celebrated its fifth anniversary in January. We're also very pleased that our deposit note program surpassed a billion dollars in Q1, with the issuance of a $250 million four-year fixed rate deposit note. This note was priced at 120 basis points over comparable term Canada bonds, representing the lowest spread of all of our issuances to date. Deposit notes have the additional benefit of being a reliable long-term source of funds. Our plan is to continue to reduce our cost of funds through activities such as regular deposit note offerings, plus through our covered bond program. We are progressing well in our covered bond readiness. We filed the bank's issuer application with CMHC and look forward to the first of multiple issuances in Europe this spring for what will end up being more than a $1.5 billion program at the current 5.5% of total assets regulatory limit. This first covered bond issuance will be up to €300 million, and based on our updated structure, we now expect this may represent lower cost of funding over GICs by as much as 50 basis points. In that context, as we continue our issuances up to our limit, by around 2023, we may be saving as much as $7.5 a year just from the program, depending on how much we've issued by that point. Continuing on the topic of margin, overall NIM has improved in Q1 to 1.77% of three basis points sequentially, reflecting in part the asset mix shift to our high-yielding conventional commercial mortgages. Both our prime and uninsured businesses provide great returns. However, we have accelerated even more with uninsured, which is further expanding NIM. Combined with our continued cost of funds diversification, we expect NIM to remain stable and potentially expand from Q1 as we also capture the tailwind of the recent EQ bank rate decline. Earnings and growth in our balance sheet translated into a set one ratio of 14.5%. Year-over-year, the rise in our set one ratio was the result of our decision to dial in credit risk in the face of the pandemic earlier in 2020 plus the regulatory limits on capital distribution by OSFI. On the topic of capital, I'll also offer the the reminder that we still use standardized risk weights. As we talked about last quarter, once we successfully complete the migration and receive approval from OSFI over the next couple years to move to ARIB for risk weights, we could see this capital further boost up to 400 basis points over time. Moving to some good trending on the credit side, PCL for Q1 was a net benefit of $800,000 as future expected losses resulting from the pandemic were recorded in Q1 and Q2 of last year. Reserve releases under Stage 1 and Stage 2 amounted to 3.1 million or 13 cents per share. The 1.1 billion shift of loans from Stage 2 back to Stage 1 in the first quarter reflects a decrease in the probability of default primarily driven by improving macroeconomic drivers. These changes are guided by the latest economic views from Moody's Analytics and our expert credit judgment. We have made no changes to our five scenario weights, which reflect a more balanced view of the various scenarios. Also worthwhile noting here is Q1 is a difficult comparison point due to the higher PCL in Q1 2020 with the onset of the pandemic. But if we look at it from a pre-tax, pre-provision perspective, we increased 31% year-over-year to 92.9 million. Our ACL further improved since Q4, and the news on delinquencies is positive. By the end of Q1, we returned to pre-pandemic levels of early delinquency in all business lines. At 38 basis points, Early delinquency in single family is at the low end of our historical range. And as a reminder, our track record includes very few losses in this business. This certainly supports the comments we made previously about the resiliency of our book, our success in clearing deferrals, and why it makes sense to us that we could expect future releases of ECL. If the economy unfolds consistent with our base case forecast, we would see an additional release of approximately 5.1 million of reserves, which you can also see in Table 13 on page 23 of our MD&A. Our impaired loans ended the quarter at 108.6 million, an improvement of 12.9 million from Q4, and better by 24.8 million year-over-year. Year. Realized losses remain low at 2.5 million, or three basis points, relative to total loan assets. Most of these losses are from the leasing portfolio, with continued very low losses from the real estate portfolio. This rate of write-offs remains well below comparable bank peers. Tighter risk parameters in mid-2020 strengthen the quality of the bank's portfolio and gives us confidence that our midterm annualized loss rate will remain in the range of three to seven basis points. As a reminder, we have a mature risk management framework And never stretch to achieve our growth objectives. This is why Equitable has had the lowest credit loss rate of all Canadian banks for many years. Andrew discussed our upgraded growth outlook for the year, so I will remind you that we are reaffirming our bank's medium term objectives of 15 to 17 percent ROE, 12 to 15 percent EPS growth, 13 to 14 percent SET 1 and dividend growth between 20 to 25%. In closing, this was a strong quarter of growth in new customer relationships, good success, whether new challenger bank services, and a strong capital foundation to realize our higher growth expectations and ambitions. With that, I'll ask the operator to open the line to your questions.
2: Thank you, Andrew. To ask a question, you will need to press star one on your telephone. To withdraw your question, press the pound or hash key. Your first question comes from the line of Manny Grauman with Scotiabank.
8: just uh, wanted to uh, connect your uh, upgraded outlook for volume growth uh, with uh, your medium-term financial targets. It would seem that uh, based on that upgrade, you should be able to deliver a lot better than sort of your medium-term EPS growth uh, and and ROE targets for 2021. I just want to see if if you would agree with that. If there's anything uh, offsetting uh, that uh, to consider in that. I
4: certainly, we're feeling pretty good about that. But I'll, I'll let Chadwick deal with the details of that question?
7: Yeah, it's, there's a couple things to consider, many. So some of the additional outlook uh, will be staggered through the year, right? So we can also see some of that come in uh, into Q3 and Q4. Uh, as we also communicated, we're going to increase our, our investments uh, this year. Uh, so we're certainly confident in the earnings outlook we, we expected for this year. Um, but what I'd also say when it comes to the medium-term guidance, um, to be honest, if we maintain our double-digit loan growth, if NIMS stay consistent with 2021, uh, if PCLs normalize and efficiency remains within that 39 to 41% range, uh, we believe it will hit our medium-term guidance.
8: Okay. And um, just uh, switching gears to, to the mortgage business, the, in the MDNA a you note um, that OSFI's proposed the increase of the qualifying rate it may even be a, a modest positive. I was hoping you could elaborate on that and how you see that playing out, and then uh, as a follow-up, do you believe you'll see or will see additional regulatory changes in the mortgage market, and and also, do you think any changes are necessary?
4: Um, yeah, thanks, Minnie. Um, you know, in general, uh, when you start to push the GDS TDS limits a little bit, uh, then then that's good for our business because we're we're more comfortable with slightly higher GDS TDS limits within our. Um, B20 framework uh, and the and the RMUP that drives that, so it's it doesn't do that much. Ma- you know, we we do gain a little bit of market share, at credit quality that would have been taken by the big banks prior to these kinds of changes. So, it, you know, it's, it's marginally modest. Uh, you know, I, I think thinking about regulatory changes is, is a tough one. You know, I think generally a lot of the conversation is not so much about mortgage markets, but about housing markets and the difficulty of. Know, excluding people who would like to buy and live in the, you know, the major, more dynamic economic centers from being able to buy in those markets. So that, that's a problem, frankly, of uh, federal, provincial and uh, municipal cooperation around building enough housing units for the people that want to live in our most dynamic cities. You know, I'd like to see some regulatory change that allows us to build more housing units, frankly, in, in those places. I do think we need to be thoughtful about you know, limiting certain segments of society from buying in these places, because I think it creates a divisive society. So we need to be very thoughtful about it. I'd certainly like to see policymakers get together at all three levels of government and try to do something more constructive and systemic. I think we, all, all the kind of really serious observers of housing markets in Canada agree that the, the biggest problem is, is the supply of housing units in the places where we want them, which are those those big economic drivers, um, you know, the Torontos, Vancouvers, Montreals, Calgary's, and Edmonton's, to some extent.
8: Thanks for that, Andrew. And then just finally for me, you launched the mortgage marketplace. Uh, You showed us um, uh, a little bit about that uh, in in the video. I'm wondering, are there any numbers that you can provide uh, over the next few years, expectations in terms of what kind of volumes you expect to generate or revenue impact, Uh, anything uh, on the number side to share relating to that launch?
4: Yeah, I mean, certainly it's, it's early days with the, the, num- the numbers. You know, we're, we're excited about it because I think we have got our EQ Bank customers, you know, looking for mortgage product from us. They're, they're excited about the value of our deposit platform. Would like to see the same kind of clean experience in the, in the mortgage and lending side of the business. Maybe, maybe you can give some more color on just kind of the numbers and how they're shaking out so far from your perspective.
6: Sure. So, um, given we've really only been live for two and a half weeks and marketing hasn't started, uh, it's still very early, but We have found the early response and applications to be very promising and uh, materially exceeded our expectations. And then just as a reminder, the mortgage marketplace allows us to increase our prime product shelf. So we have the opportunity to earn interest income on our insured book, but also to earn referral income on uninsured prime loans that get sent to other lenders. Uh, We'll be able to provide better earnings guidance after having the benefit of a few months in market?
4: I think, I think it's a great example though of a kind of more open approach to working with other players. You know, Being a smaller bank and a challenger bank, we have to be certainly open. And so this is a great example of us curating in effect the best financial services products available in the Canadian market. And something we very much observe when we go and visit challenger banks in, in Europe and other places. And certainly sort of part of our broader aspiration to work and partner with, with other people that have got different capabilities.
8: Point taken. Thank you very much.
4: Your next
2: question comes from the line of Jeff Kwan with RBC Capital Markets.
8: Hi, Jeff. I
4: think you might be on mute, Jeff.
5: Yeah. yeah. Oh, Sorry, can you hear me now? Yes, absolutely. Um, I, I just had a couple questions. My first one was just um, the increased guidance that you have on the alternative and the commercial finance. Um, I mean, it's off up quite a bit from your original guidance, just was wondering if there's specific things that you would flag um, that you were seeing, I guess, since you originally kind of were thinking about growth for 2021, like where do you see that growth happening?
4: Yes, I think uh, I'll deal with the commercial piece of that and then perhaps pass the, the single-family alt side up to Mahima who's, who's running that business. I think in commercial what we're seeing is a lot of transactions in multi-family properties, actually, and a little bit of backup at CMHC that's making it, you know, some of those loans that would have in the past been done as insured loans being done as conventional, and that's a place where we really play. You know, the good news about that is, is that some of those may well convert into our insured book as as as, the, as under new ownership, you know, rents are increased and an insurance certificate is taken out. So what we've really seen, the, the, the faster growth in, in the commercial finance group is in really high quality, uh, larger multifamily family pro- properties. And then, Emma, maybe you can provide some comment on the old side.
6: Definitely, so on the single family residential side, uh, we're obviously seeing some of the benefit from uh, just housing market activity more broadly. Um, and the benefits of HPI growth. But I would say beyond that, uh, we've been really happy with the traction that we're getting in market share growth. Part of that is a um, revitalized entry back into the market after our pullback in 2020, as well as a, um, quite a bit of innovation happening on the product um, side of our alternative uh, book. Um, and, and always, I think we continue to deliver on the service side of the equation, so have seen very uh, positive feedback from our broker um, net promoter scores.
4: Yeah, I think when, when Mahima speaks of product, by the way, she speaks in a product design centric approach, which is great, that's where we're going. Uh, just to be clear, that's not in, not increasing LTVs or GDS or anything particularly right now. So really we're talking about the experience. In, the internal process and experience that the brokers get from, from improving some of
7: these processes. Yeah, and I'll just I'll just echo in again, uh, Jeff. So just we, you know, we've seen some comments in the last quarter again, just trying to contextualize uh, the numbers or the pullback last year. And again, we'll just underline for everyone again, it was deliberate. right? Deliberate when we pulled back last year. It wasn't uh, it wasn't the market. Uh, we, we we made that pullback, and we we've. we've come back in with a lot of strength, and I think that's where team is going, right? We've really resumed our, our leadership, especially on the alt side. So that's that's one of the key deltas, the deliberate pullback, the, the the deliberate uh, step forward.
5: I guess I just want to make sure I understand the comments around the market share there on the alternative side was, um, I mean, it's not that it's been a lot of time, I guess, in between the original uh, guidance and now the increased amount. Was it the case then when you had your original guidance, you were expecting 2021 to still be pretty cautious around um, uh, lending in that space, and then now you feel that um, you're, you're, you're comfortable being more active and that's what's what's driving it? No, I think,
4: uh, you know, especially we, we, we dialed back our credit criteria and lost the, a bit of faith in some of our brokers, and we had to rebuild that. And, it, and it, we thought it might take longer than it did to do that, and so that was really – we came in with a relatively cautious forecast Knowing that some of our key long-term supporters had you know, become affiliates with, with other players in the market a little bit, but we found that by, by really stepping up that service level and credit to our teams, you know, that, that intensity of effort has is, is, is really been what's, what's driven us to higher market share levels. It's, it's really all been about service. Okay. Uh, of course, I mean, one of the issues, Jeff. I mean, it's always a bit embarrassing when you've got to change forecast. But frankly, you know, it's pretty hard to put a forecast together coming out through the pandemic, and I think we've just Perhaps everybody
5: cautious in that environment. Okay. And just my other question, which is that with the, the success you're having with the EQ Bank and the rollout, you're seeing um, you a know, very significant increase um, in, your, in your deposits, in particular looking at your demand deposits. Um, I think today that's somewhere a little under 20-ish percent or so um, of your overall funding. Um, and that's, I think, up almost double where it would have been a year ago. Just wanted to get your thoughts on, you know, how this um, dynamic, how it kind of changes how you think about um, how you're originating loans uh, against those types of deposits, um, again, given, you know, the significant growth in deposits over the past year. Yeah, it
4: doesn't really affect the thinking about the loan book, but, but what you'll also see is holding, I think, the highest levels of liquidity we've ever held, and that that's exactly to sort of Deal with any potential risks around that, that reversing course, and as we mentioned in our script, the the fact that uh, as, as as deposits have been there longer in the platform, and as customers are buying more than one product, we get more confidence about the the stability of those deposits. So we monitor that very carefully, and you know you, you you'll see that over, over the next few years as we get more and more products being used by those customers, being you know like most banks, when you when you've got franchise customers, you're, you're more comfortable a mismatch there but but that's not the case today. We we carry a lot of liquidity to support any any risk on the demand side. Yeah I'll just add that Jeff too so that's that's part of the key right even when you think
7: about earnings or, or NIM uh, in in twenty twenty one and to Andrew's point we're hiring holding higher liquid assets um, because of the anticipated growth in the loan book, holding higher liquidity because of that to your point on the on the EQ bank side. Um, so you know the ratio overall for liquidity is a bit hard to predict, but we think it'll probably remain around or above this this 10% level too. Uh, and you just think about that, right? Again, even with the EQ bank, you know, we hold a lot more. Um, I call more in the 28% range um, than for a non-registered N G I C. So it's the, the dynamic shifts a little bit, and that comes back to them as well. Okay. Great. Thank you.
2: Your next question comes from the line of H.E.N. Ricard with BMO Capital Markets.
3: And, hey, King, good morning. you are Hi, doing? So first question I'd like to, you know, on the funding side, um, talk about deposit notes. And, I mean, it's great to see a declining spread on your latest issuance. And um, I wanted to know what percentage of your deposits do you believe um, deposit notes could represent? Longer term, and how much lower do you believe the spread can
7: go? So it's a bit hard to hear there, So you're asking more about how, in terms of our continuance of the deposit note program?
4: Yeah, I mean, it could be, sorry, it could easily double. Like I did hear the question, so I can easily double in size from here in terms of the, the portfolio outstanding. You know, we, we struggle a bit with the, the rating agency, so it'll, it'll take a rating agency increase to drop the spread. Um, so I think we're, you know, as, as, as we, uh, as we see that, that'll help drive down the, the cost of funds. Uh, today, we, you know, we trade very closely with two other regional banks that have actually enjoyed higher ratings yeah. than us. We don't really believe that you know, they should have a rating uh, increment compared to us. So, so hopefully over time, we can get the rating interest to believe that. Yeah, and, and for the deposit note program too, so it's,
7: you know, I mentioned it was a lower, uh, our lowest spread yet, and that's, for, for us, it's already trending lower than historic GIC pricing. So that is certainly helping. And you know, you've seen us do now, I think about three in the past six months, you know, I'd expect to see for sure a couple of years and keep this going to Andrew's point, as we further improve uh, with the credit rating agencies too, that can reduce our wholesale funding costs. And when you think of the funding stack, even overall out, right, when you start thinking a few years out, you're gonna see that EQ bank demand deposits become a higher portion of the funding stack, but we'll also see more on the wholesale side with more deposit notes, and then more on the cover bonds, uh, particularly if, if the cover bond limit increases even further, so we net and net and we view uh, quite a bit of tailwind uh, in front of us okay so so if I heard you correctly, you
3: know for the next few years, you could double the size you know the, the absolute dollar figure of the yep. deposit notes. yes, that's correct, yeah okay, okay, great and um so you continue to sell your you know your your platform. And you know this might be a higher level question, but how do you believe the pandemic has impacted um, industry growth prospects or reverse mortgages? And by how much do you believe this can grow uh, longer term?
6: so I can take that one it's here um, on the reverse mortgage side particularly we're very uh, optimistic around what the uh, market trends um, are showing kind of following the pandemic reality so uh, long term care as we know with realities of um, the pandemic and, and the situation has caused a lot of our target market to um, want to stay in home and age in home longer and so we're seeing um, optimistic forecast about what that will mean to market growth in the tune of 50 to 20% growth uh, in the market year over year. Um, and I would say that uh, that trend is also reflecting in our uh, recent performance So Q1 results were considerably higher than where we thought, and we've continued to grow that pipeline and see that um, growth trajectory continuing um, into the following quarters.
7: Yeah, and I'll just add to that too. So, you know, even, even to, that, to that point, you know, can we maintain this, this level of growth momentum? Uh, the answer is yes. Uh, is the, the size of the prize significantly larger um, than we've even approached? Yes. Uh, and are we, you know, really increasing our, our market dominance and uh, in, in com- competition versus uh, the other peer out there? Absolutely. So, you know, we, we feel pretty good about our positioning in this business uh, and the products that Mahima's team has put on the shelf, and our relationships that we're forming, we think we can maintain this momentum for sure.
8: All right, great. Thank you for your comments.
2: Your next question comes from the line of Stephen Boland with Raymond James. Uh,
9: thanks. Uh, first of all, guys, I just want to compliment you on the disclosure. Uh, it gets better every quarter, and it's uh, it's really helps the business become more and more transparent so thank you for that um, the second thing I, I guess the first question is is the marketplace and I guess the rationale of opening up uh, sort of a search engine that includes your peers. so I guess the question would be when when a answer someone answers the qualifying questions is, is that and it refers you know that that client to a to another lender is that business that you don't want to compete on Because it just seems to me that maybe you're losing some business on the fringe, uh, and is it rate? Is it the type of customer that you'd be losing? So maybe I'm just trying to get a little bit more on the rationale of, of, and I understand collaboration and challenger bank, but what's the rationale of opening that up to your peer group? And and does that referral income uh, offset that, that lost business, that income stream that you could have earned?
4: Yes, thanks, Steve. Yeah, I mean, in a general terms, if, if the mortgage is insurable, we're going to be very competitive, and the engine will point the loan in our direction. Uh, you know, we have really great break fees, uh, good rates. Uh, there's no reason why somebody shouldn't shouldn't, de- shouldn't deal with us. The kind of market, the big part of the market though that really has just been handed to the D-SIBs in recent years is the prime uninsured market. So um, we're unable to compete in that with with our current balance sheet and funding and particularly using standardized risk weights, uh, And that's true of all, all smaller institutions, nothing particularly uh, you know, equitable related. So uh, you know, we might as well um, you know, service our customers in that need, and, and if that means it's funded on another bank's balance sheet, so be it. I think it's, it's better than losing the opportunity altogether. I mean, the whole mortgage marketplace is really trying to drive that, that origination experience to be something much more like what people expect from EQ Bank rather
9: than traditional uh, you know, banking approaches okay that that makes sense thank you Andrew. and then second question is um, just on your on your alt business um, is is the the and, and the higher guidance and I presume that's a combination of higher volumes uh, you know higher you know housing prices yeah, and that's helping to drive the loan growth is the, the stress test and, the, and your outlook that it can be positive for you is that part of the the increased guidance sorry I didn't hear
4: what what was the key thing you said what is
9: Stress. Yeah, <laughs> so, no, stress No,
4: the stress test, uh, we think the stress test, you know, it's marginally positive maybe, but it's not It's not going to drive anything. It, it's a bit of a nothing, frankly, the whole industry as far as I'm concerned. It's, it's a good thing that Ozzy's cleaning up because the, the use of benchmark rates never really made much sense in the first place. They're kind of a fictitious rate, so I think to have a, a more structured approach to setting the stress test rate actually makes a lot of sense and encourage that. But no, it's, it's not really going to move the business.
9: Okay, and I'll sneak one more in. Uh, the commercial finance group, the being the new outlook, uh, is quite robust. The loans to institutional and corporates. Is there a particular particular segments that have come back, you know, strong? And I presume that maybe the pandemic is part of that. That you know, maybe it wasn't essential construction and things of that sort is is rebounding uh, quicker than you thought.
4: As I mentioned earlier on commercial finance, I mean the the, the, the quick one is. It tends to be large commercial, uh, large multifamily apartment buildings, multifamily, really high quality assets that are just more active trade, actively being traded in this marketplace. Okay.
9: Thanks for, your, thanks for the time.
2: Your next question comes from the line of Chihan Tanke with Stephen.
1: Hi, good morning, uh, everyone. Just a couple of quick questions from me. Um, it looks like it was another strong quarter of non-interest income. Um, I think it was 17.5% of, of pre-tax, pre provision income. With respect to your updated loan growth guidance, a little bit more in the alternative space, a little bit lower in the prime space, um, and balancing that with the commercial outlook um, how do you see that securitization income um, playing out with your revised long-growth um, uh, guidance for the next couple of quarters?
4: Yeah, I mean, it continues to look pretty strong, frankly. Um, the spreads are definitely down a little bit compared to the height of the pandemic, but uh, nonetheless, we're seeing good volumes, decent spreads. Uh, and we're able to address it quite nicely. Um, and I think we'll have more to talk about in, in, frankly, the next conference call about how we're trying to be more Proactive in that marketplace, which hopefully will be encouraging. Yeah, it's, um,
7: I, I think what we, we, we've seen the numbers this quarter, too, right, is that we expected that trend to, to accelerate back to normalized. It, it, it went even a little faster. So, I, yeah, to, to Andrew's point, i say these levels, levels are a little bit more closer to normalized. So, the way to think about it probably for the next couple of quarters is, you know, steady this slightly down maybe on the gains of sales side, but non-interest income even to that point. Um, we're aiming for a lot of stability, so interest point is, there's more to, more to come here uh, on, the, on these numbers.
1: appreciate that. I think it's a um, good narrative to uh, you know, reduce the focus of you know, seeing you guys as a leverage play on housing, having the non-interest income boost, um, I think stabilizes earnings over a housing cycle. Um, now, when you talk about launching, you know, you've got mortgage marketplace, you've got several other you know, digital products, um, that you're looking to launch and these new banks, maybe if we can get an update on on some of those and, and wealth management payments, and more broadly speaking, you know, as these products roll out over the next couple of years and you get some momentum, you know, where do you think, where do you want to see non-interest income as a percent of pre-tax pre-provision earnings on a on a long-term on a long-term basis?
4: You know, I think it's too early for us to really comment on that. Well, certainly it's a priority, and Chadwick's brought that thinking to us you know, coming from a more a more traditional bank. Uh, I think you'll hear us talking a lot more about payments over the rest of this year, but it's certainly way too early to quantify the impact. Uh, we, we, we're we definitely interested in the payment space, what the opportunities coming from the real-time rail being launched next year uh, and other things, so, so that will drive the income. Uh, but... Uh, too early for us to really kind of sketch that in a way that an investor should should or could rely on. Yeah, the only other context we could
7: add, Chan, uh, for for Nim, um, you know, it, the thing to remember too, even if what well, we have more that may come into place, all other things being equal, with the growth in our assets, we'd still, you know, we, we do expect. We should be able to expand margin over the next two to three years, but the big caveat again is, you know, we, we talked about this: is once we look to adopt ARIB for our risk weights, we'd also potentially be taking on some lower spread uh, mortgages, uh, importantly prime uninsured at that point, which could also then change how you forecast NIM. So we'll see some evolution just in our in our mix and our margins uh, over the, over the coming period. Um, so th- things in the work, but to Andrew's point: it's a little bit early still to give broader guidance beyond our medium-term guidance.
1: Appreciate uh, the color there. And maybe on that note, Chadwick talking about AARB transition. Um, you know, some of the peers that are, you know, undergoing the same process um are going through parallel model running with Aussie. Are you guys doing that right now, or is that something that's later to come in the next couple of months? Or just wondering what the um, what the activity level is with with Austin and that
4: part? Well, so Ron Ron is our ARB team work for him. So uh, Ron, if you maybe can provide some comment on that. Uh,
10: Yes. So uh, pandemic notwithstanding, our ARB program is back in full swing and has been to start the year. Um, There are no pandemic-related implications to our program other than we slowed down a bit in 2020, and uh, we have been engaged with OSPI and communicated to them Um, the touch points that we would like over the next 12 to 18 months. Um, And uh, as as we understand it, the regulators are still quite supportive of, and remain supportive of, small and medium-sized institutions going down that path. You would have seen that reflected in OSPI's papers on small, medium-sized banks and proportionality, where they do make specific provisions and mentions for banks of our size making the move to to ARB. So uh, we do have the program fully back on track and are uh, putting the uh, you know the, the full weight of the bank uh, behind it to uh, you know, ultimately achieve the outcomes that uh, Chadwick referenced a little earlier in the call, and, and we have in our disclosures.
7: That's right. Yeah, to Ron's point, so you see that in the MDNA as well. You may not have caught it yet, but we, we reinforced uh, the point on the recent CAR guidelines for the small and medium size, and we made reference that in our case that could result alone in. in uh, and about another 150 million million or so in excess capital over time, if that comes to fruition, and that's just that's separate from ARIB, right? So that's one sequence, but ARIB is where we stay very focused.
1: Maybe if I can sneak one last question, and you know, how do you prioritize your excess capital situation and what you want to do with that capital? You know, your multiple has expanded quite nicely. So how do you balance? Um, growth opportunities organic inorganic and capital returns to uh, capital distribution to shareholders thanks.
4: yeah I and mean, our position on that just hasn't changed since we've last spoke um, you know we would expect to jump our dividends back up to the levels that they would have been if we you know not had dividends constrained you know we certainly don't think about organic uh, inorganic uh, acquisitions being driven by the fact that we might have excess capital it's our shareholders capital we'll return it if we've you know, if we've got no good way to use it, if we've got good ways to deploy it, that meet you know, rigorous capital guidelines, but we'll, we'll, we'll do that. Yeah, and the only
7: thing I'll add there, okay, is just with the, um, we saw this at one, right, at 14.5%, that's, it's because we're, we're deploying more organically, right, we have, we have a lot of great business growth opportunity in, in the quarter, and that's why we went from 14.6 to 14.5, so expect otherwise we're, we're deploying uh, our excess capital And smart ways
8: internally
2: with our business lines. And once again, ladies and gentlemen, if you would like to ask a question during this time, you will need to press one star, then the number one, on your telephone keypad. And to withdraw your question, press the pound or hash key. Your next question comes from the line of Graham writing with TD Securities.
1: Hi, good morning. Thank you, um I'll stay with the team of the mortgage marketplace. Um to start off with, just uh first of all, just any concern or feedback perhaps from your existing mortgage broker partners that you're launching a platform that's competing with them or how are you sort of feeling? I think Yeah, I think
4: we haven't done quite as good a job as we might have done in communicating with them. I think you know, I need to understand this is really focused on our EQ Bank existing deposit customer base. Um, so, you know, we've had we've had to deal with a few calls there, but it, but I think it's really complementary to their activities. You know, as we grow EQ Bank, we're lending most of the, the vast majority of that money out through the mortgage broker channel. We absolutely continue to believe that the mortgage a mortgage broker is the best way to get a mortgage in Canada, and we'll we'll we'll, we'll continue to drive that. So there's dialogue going on, but but. Uh, I think, you know, they're all running sophisticated businesses understand that that uh, we need to, to be doing our thing, too. But we we certainly fully back, back the mortgage brokers of Canada as being the best way to get a mortgage. And,
1: and just to be clear, are you offering uh, only prime mortgages on the uh, mortgage marketplace, or would you be trying to originate both? No, no, we're
4: offering – it's a prime mortgage marketplace. So the alt yeah. – all of our alt loans come through uh, – our broker existing broker networks got it
1: okay um and is this something like will we should we expect to see a noticeable impact on your you know other income this year or on the expense side is there any any color on uh what we should expect to see this year perhaps
4: i, I don't think it's going to be certainly our perspective is it's not really going to be meaningful in terms of revenue for this year um you know, this is mostly about starting to step out the platform to show that we can lend and and, and provide deposits through the digital platform. But we would should expect over the next few years to see this as indicative of where that roadmap goes. So other lending products, you know, I would certainly would expect will appear on that platform over the years ahead.
7: Yeah, and your question on
4: the expenses—that's you know, for for this for anything else
7: we're doing. That's already within our guidance as well, and that's why we mentioned on the. Uh, the expense side for, for Q two and Q three is this the US dollar account, et cetera, is where those those investments have been coming into play.
1: Okay. Understood. Um next question, just on the on the personal origination side, I think it was up 17% percent year year if I've got the number right. Uh so there's a good number, but it is below sort of the activity that we've seen in the broader housing market in terms of you know, activity and house price growth. Has the activity in the alternative space been, you know, slower or hit more perhaps during the pandemic? And, and you know, does that suggest um, it's been weighing on activity, but also there's potential more of a recovery as things open up?
4: I think that certainly was experienced last year. You know, to get we've got a lot of self-employed borrowers uh, in that in that book. Uh, you know, their income became less certain. I think they've been less active participants in the housing market than salaried borrowers. Um, and of course as their businesses you know come back and to lock back to life then we would expect a self-employed
1: or a group to do well yeah okay thanks and my last one just chadrick just to confirm you know your your nim guidance of uh, lower cost of funds in 2021 is is that a combination of the lower eq bank savings rate <coughs> that you just uh rolled out and then also an increased index of wholesale funding
7: yeah, the overall name got into that kind of flat to slightly positive. So, yeah, we have some tailwind on, on the EQ bank rate side. But, again, I mentioned for 2021, right, we made the reference that we're holding the higher liquid assets because of this loan growth and then the higher liquidity with the EQ bank side. And you also have variables such as prepayment income where we've seen uh, lots of volatility over the past couple quarters as well. Uh, so all in all, with the with the cost of fund size and some of what we're seeing on the asset yield side, we still land. Yeah, slightly positive to, to flat from where we, we came out of uh, out
1: of Q1. Okay, that's it for me. Thank you.
2: Your next question comes from the line of James Glon with National Bank Financial.
11: Yeah. Thanks. Good morning. Um, Hi, James. First question is on the customer engagement. Uh, you, you sort of made some qualitative. Uh, comments about uh, increasing engagement substantially. Can you provide any uh, provide any any more quantitative uh, numbers around that in terms of products and services customers are using and how that has expanded?
6: Sure. So uh, just to clarify, we measure customer engagement uh, through two metrics. One is uh, how many products does a customer hold. The other is how engaged is a customer in terms of uh, number of transactions per month. Um, so we set out a target of um, between 10 to 15% increase in engagement uh, for the year, and we have already achieved that target uh, for Q1, and so um, obviously continuing to push to see that increase, but we've been uh, very uh, happy with the traction that we've seen to date.
11: Okay, that's helpful. And, uh, and so, what does that mean then, in terms of uh, number of products that a customer uses? Like, what's an average customer using today? Uh, like two, three products? Uh, what is it? Yeah, well, I think we know that
4: about uh, two billion of the total deposits have got both registered accounts plus plus an unregistered account. So uh, that, that's a, about a third of the total book. So, you know that's that's one indication I, I think uh, probably should get some better metrics so we can share at the high level, but you know, we, we look at it in more detail and it's hard to kind of really
11: summarize that more than that okay uh, i'll we'll follow up on that um, still on the uh, the eq bank platform uh, i I got an email uh, and uh, and rates were moving lower on uh, on some of the savings products and uh, interest rate accounts. Uh, did you? Did you notice any uh, any reaction from any clients uh, as a result of that move lower uh recently
6: um, I mean I think the reality is that even though we decreased our um, savings rates by twenty five basis points, they're still extremely attractive when you compare them to the um, deives or uh, even other competitors in the market um we did see a little bit of hot money um exit to some of the digital players, but um, it, it's kind of expected because there, there is a certain amount of customers who play the market in that case. I would say, though, that the effect has been completely muted and the growth in new customers and the deposits that's coming with those new customers has more than uh, compensated for any uh, minimal leakage that we,
11: we did see. That's uh, that's good to hear. And uh, uh, last one, um, maybe as briefly as you can, since it's uh, after the hour here. Um, on the reverse mortgages, uh, you know the growth has been strong, um, but at you know sort of like less than or right around 100 million versus the, the number one peer that has like 3.8 billion. I'm just uh, I'm wondering what uh, what's preventing. A, uh, a more aggressive approach than just, you know, say, doubling or tripling the book, given the size of the market that's available? Yeah, I think it's, it's really just contain, controlled
4: and contained by the amount of work we've invested in it. I think there's still some work that we need to do to convert from the top of the funnel to the bottom of the funnel in marketing speak, and so we, you'll see us doing that over the next little while. Okay, great. Thanks.
2: And Ladies and gentlemen, that concludes our Q and A portion of the call today. And now I will turn the call back over to Mr. Moore for final comments.
4: Uh, thank you, Carol. Um, as there are no further questions, uh, you know, I'll have two items to note. First, uh, we're going to hold our virtual AGM, annual and special meeting of shareholders, next Wednesday, May 12th at 10 a.m. At that time, we will share additional thoughts about Equitable's future. So we hope you are able to participate. Second, we will publish our 2021 Sustainability Report and Public Accountability Statement later this week, which sets out our approach and commitment to ESG. We welcome dialogue with all stakeholders on ESG topics, and one of the areas where we've been doing some really interesting work is on the greenhouse gas file. We should expect our position on this important topic to evolve nicely over the next year. As Canadians call on banks to lead in areas such as development of a more equitable society, who better to do that than equitable bank? Thank you for your time and attention, and have a great day.
2: Ladies and gentlemen, that concludes today's conference call. Thank you for participating. You may now disconnect. $5,000.